Welcome to the Forge Nutrition and Fitness Podcast, where we dive into everything fuel and function related to give you the ultimate freedom with your health, lifestyle and goals. Let's get into it. Hi guys and welcome back to the podcast and today with me we have Helen. Hi Helen. Hi. And we have a very special guest today. So today we're joined by Dave Cottrell who is better known as Mindset by Dave and Dave is a mental health ambassador, a mindset coach, a speaker and educator. He's the host of the Master the Mind Master Everything podcast which is awesome and he's had guests on there including Team GB athletes, bodybuilders, doctors, nutritionists, coaches, and loads and loads of other people. Um, Dave's content is hugely, hugely educational um, and inspirational, whilst being often quite kind of honest and very raw, um, but it's always, always relatable. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Thanks for having me. That was officially the best intro that that I've never written myself. Like normally to to get one that good, not to get one that good. In fact, you sound like you know more about my podcast than I do. It's like, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember those days. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And I've been lucky enough to to meet Dave a couple of years ago at BTN Academy conference. So I have actually met you face to face. You have, yeah. And Um, it's, I know, and I listened to your, um, the, you did an amazing speech that day and presentation and you talked a lot about your own journey through through mental health and I wondered if you could just talk us through with it being mental health awareness week this week I think it's very poignant to kind of maybe make things very relatable to people and talk about our own journeys with with mental health and I think that maybe it would be good for you to chat us through a bit of that okay cool um i'll try and kind of focus on the most important points because i do have a habit of getting stuck into all the finer details of it whenever um so the i suppose the main thing is i that i have type 2 bipolar disorder so um the a lot of the biggest the, the big things in the mental health industry is the question between whether we can actually improve and help mental health or whether it's something that just happens to us and as someone who's lived a life full of kind of attempted either successful or unsuccessful personal development like along the way and also lives with a mental illness i'm I, i'm one of those people that says it's actually a case of both and each individual person that you speak to and you see they might be able to impact it 90 percent, or it might control them 90 percent. you know it's like it could and, and then anything in between but i think it, there's always a percentage of it that actually is impactable and changeable and um, I basically didn't realize any of that until, I don't know, late 20s. Um, I got into it. I was, I was obese as a kid. I, was, um, I, I got up as high as 23 stone six. Um, and then I uh, basically, I, did, I had an eating disorder like, uh, that got me there. And then I had the same eating disorder that got me away from there. And then masked it all up in, like, in the fitness industry of like, you know, it was basically non-purge bulimia, which is a constant, well, a, a cycle of binges and restrictions. So rather than binges and purges, it would be binges and restrictions. Um, as a kid, that was mostly binges, not much restriction. Then in the fitness industry, it became mostly restriction, not many binges. But I kind of got away with wrapping up um, the binges and things like that in the, in the fitness industry terms. Like, and I, I, think, I think Charlie and I can both relate to that in terms of kind of us doing preps and stuff in terms of kind of how mm. you're 
mindset is is you know you can it can be massively overwhelming to somebody who um hasn't had much experience of kind of nutrition and kind of what's kind of massively restrictive and what isn't yeah. so i think we can you know we can both relate to that in some kind of way if you see yeah. what i mean because because of that you know if, if that's a you know you, you could tipple over in, in into that definitely yeah. yeah definitely and i think during that period i just could became i became more obsessed with my weight at when i was my smallest than i ever was at my biggest you know at my biggest it was my weight was kind of almost part of my identity and it was like the fat funny one you know like um or the chunky backstreet boys i call it based on my before photo because i've got hair with blonde spiky tips um I love I backstreet boys. <laughs> <laughs> and um but yeah, so the first step was kind of like was was the weight loss journey, and then the weight loss journey kind of led into me figuring out that actually some of my mental health was wrapped up in that. You know, I, I definitely felt better once I was exercising a little bit more control over my life, once there was a bit more routine. But I got in that sort of "I'll be happy when" trap. You know, like I'll be happy when I get a certain weight, or I'll be happy when I get to fight in the ring, which because that was what I was trying to lose weight for was to fight in Muay Thai. And, um, and then it became, I'll be happy when um, I hit the next weightlifting competition and I'll be happy when I've got my photo shoot done and all that stuff. And that whole, I'll be happy when it's like, it's like that carrot on a stick that you can never quite get to, yeah. you know, like even when you do get there, it moves away. And, um, and then I've kind of, once I got into like just well just before i got into coaching myself and by coaching originally it was a, as a personal trainer i finally i kind of hit a bit of a rock bottom with my mental health and i became well i'd, be, I'd, I'd gone through my life of dealing with it with food and then when i was a bit older dealing with it with alcohol and when i was a bit older dealing with it with drugs dealing with it with self-harm and then i got to the point 11 years ago of being suicidal um and at making an attempt on my own life and then the off the back end of that, I've been someone who's always valued knowledge. I grew up with that whole belief, knowledge is power. But I had an absolute ton of knowledge that I did absolutely nothing with. You know, my self-help was shelf help. You know, I had all the books. They were all on the shelf. Like, I'd read them. I knew what they said. Did, did none of it. Absolutely none of it. And I did just sit back. And this is why I kind of hold the, the point that I hold now is the fact that I sat back and just said, well, this is my mental health. I've got bipolar. I'm always going to be like this. I'm always depressed. And when I'm high, I'm always going to come crashing down. And um, I got really, really lucky in the fact that sort of, I, I came actually back from the, the attempted suicide and did start making some really, really kind of big changes in my life. But I still kind of meandered along with this mental health thing until weirdly out the blue, um, one of my doctors, well, a new doctor came to the doctor's surgery and he just, he just phoned up proactively and said, you know, I want to get you in for an appointment with this, um, with this mental health primary carer. And then um, she taught me mindfulness and she taught me the, the phrase, this too shall pass, which was a much better phrase to kind of focus on than I'm always going to be like this. Um, those, you know, even in, if you tell yourself you're always going to be like this, we can relate this to kind of to weightlifting. You know, if someone says to you, okay, I want you to do, I want you to do an, um, a squat with a, with a four second hold at the bottom. And that's bad enough with four seconds. But then if someone says, right, well, you've got to stay there forever now it's like that weight suddenly feels a hell of a, a lot, lot heavier. heavier. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, like by doing like, even like, you know, um, what are they called? Isometric um, holds, isotonic holds, whatever, iso holds, or doing things with slow negatives. The longer you make that like negative, the heavier that weight appears, even though it's the exact same weight. That's the same with mental health. So when I believed I'll always be like this, um, that story in itself kept me in depression. Whereas this too shall pass was like a tiny little light at the end of the tunnel 
but it was enough because it said it's going to pass I don't have to live like this forever and um so did you feel that that was kind of a real turning point for you at that at that stage yeah 100% and um I learned I've learned all about mindfulness I kind of obsessively dived into books about that then and the main difference there was instead of just diving into the books reading them and going "Ooh, that's nice um, I was like okay I'll try. I did the exercises and that I think was one of the big things for me um was I think at the talk you you saw me on I mentioned the book the four tendencies I'm what's called an obliger so like an obliger is someone who'll do something for someone else and it was because for me in that situation um the primary carer was like saying to me, like I was seeing her every two weeks for over 12 weeks. And she was like, this is what I want you to do before next time. And she was quite, you know, explicit about that. I was like this, I want you to have done this and I want you to have read these chapters and performed these meditations. She was really kind of exact to the point on those things. So because someone else was asking me to do them, I did it. And, um, and that was kind of like the first time I got into meditation as a sort of, as a routine really. And, um, and with, with with your meditation, do you do you still do that? Is it something you do kind of morning, evening, or is it something you do as and when? When do you kind of do yours? So. I'll, I'll be honest and say that I don't do it on a regular basis. And I actually do treat meditation as a bit like I used to, I say to people, treat your self care, like nutri like nutrients rather than like painkillers. So like your nutrients are there to prevent you from getting sick. Your painkillers are there once you're already in pain. And when we yeah. take painkillers, we don't get an instant pain relief like that. We have to wait 20, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it might be before they kick in. Same with self care. If someone gets to the point where they categorically need some form of self-care whether that's meditation exercise whatever it may be once that person's at that point and they're using it as a, yeah. a cure rather than a prevention it takes time for what that person's doing to kick in now the reason i sit there and say i'm not too worried about people finding that out about me that i don't use meditation on a regular basis is that i make self-care in whatever form it is like in like i make that a regular thing for me so that is things like exercise that is things like meditation that is things like you know mantras or um or sometimes putting a face mask on that one works quite nicely for that um I get a, little <laughs> bit of a, a little bit of a pamper session um like i did like a month of mindset last month in um and where it was 30 different ideas and it's like this is one of the big things i promote is that your self-care regime doesn't need to look like anybody else's it doesn't need to look mine doesn't need to look like helen's helen's doesn't need to look like charlie's it's like you know, it's as long as it works for you, because this is what I get sick of seeing on the internet is, and you know, within the fitness industry, we've seen this a million times, everyone has to have a USP. So they have to say that my way is the best way. I invented the bench press and, and you know, I invented carbs or whatever it's like. And therefore, therefore you must follow these because if you don't follow these, you won't get the result. I hate that. Like I can't stand that. So with self-care, what I would say the two the two best times it does work for me when I use it if when I do use it regularly is what I call the bookend. So it's the first thing in the morning, last thing at night, and just the reason like that's just that's one of those kind of if you're gonna do it, those are the times that you get a little bit more of a benefit from it because if you start your day off with that setting your intentions right, it really does kind of change the flavor of the next few hours. And and also the the bedtime one, I use it a lot then simply to fall asleep. It's like it's a great way to fall asleep, and I, I'd often use a body scan meditation for that. Like the particular one that I use, although I've recorded those and quite a few of my clients use them. My wife occasionally uses the one with my voice, but if she puts it on and I hear my voice coming from her bedside table, <laughs> I'm like, you know what we were talking about off mic, before, well, off camera before we started about if you start noticing the imperfections, I'm like, oh, there's a little, 
like, <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, ah, I need to go and take that down. So, so yeah, the, I started, I suppose, looking after myself at that point. Um, and the, the mindfulness was really a step into that because I learned mindfully in through that as well. Mind, like mindfulness in food, it's like making one square of chocolate last for like 10 minutes and you get more enjoyment out of it than you would have to sit in there and binge the entire bar. That was a very useful and powerful tool. And I went and saw a, I went privately to see, um, to see a, a, a cognitive behavioral therapist as well, who basically they talked about, um, you know, rewire, like basically changing the way you think and the way you act in order to kind of rewire everything. And then when I finally kind of went and did my nutrition degree, there was a, um, there was a module on that nutrition degree on mindset and habit change and the, the coaching section, like ideas, lots and lots of hands-on coaching on how to get a person to actually do the things that you want them to do. So rather than just giving them the nutrition plan, how to get them to follow it, how to get them to follow a new exercise. And it was all like NLP and it was NLP qualified, but some of it was based in CBT as well. And when I sat in that class, it was like this full on light bulb moment that all those little things that I'd done through my own personal, my own personal journey, the, the therapies I'd been to myself, the books I'd read, but done absolutely nothing with. There was this moment where it was just like, it all just like, I used to say my brain was like a shotgun, you know, it's like, you know, just scatter shot absolutely everywhere. And now I say it's more like a spider's web because I see the connections between all of it. And that day was just like, gave me this, well, I say that day, that sort of module made me kind of put all this together to the point at which when I did my assessment at the end of it, um, I've never, I've never been the best in class, you know, like I, I think I was the best in class in, pri in primary school, but then I got beat up for the fact that I was best in class. So then I've spent the rest of that school time never wanting to be best in class anymore. But in this situation, I'm like, you know, I don't know how long ago it was. I was maybe 32 or whatever. I was like a little bit more mature. Don't, don't give two craps about what the other students, so I would say kids in class. Most of them were like women that were older than me. Um, <laughs> but I didn't give two craps about whether they were like, you know, I was, and, and the, um, the examiner turned around to me and he said, he's like, basically you've passed with flying colors. He says, but this just like, here's your assessment. He said, but one thing, which is just a personal note. He's like, he was like, if you don't do something with this as a career, it would be an absolute sin. And um, I had had at the time huge daddy issues. Like, you know, like uh, my coaches and my male coaches and mentors at that time, I would do anything back then to make them say, I'm proud of you and all the rest of it. Like that was like crack to me. Um, so when this guy said that to me, I was like, oh my God, no man has ever said anything quite that sort of big to me. So it made, it made me kind of turn, turn around and think, maybe I should do something with this. And, um, and then I basically had a nutrition seminar that I was booked to, to deliver at the gym that I work at about two months later. And I said, I said to the, the gym owner, I'm like, do you mind if I change it to be in a mindset seminar? And he was like, no, but just let me know what type of content you're thinking of doing. And I wrote it the following week. And then I stood up, did that mindset seminar. This was on in October. It'll be five years ago this year. So October, 2015. And um, in front of like 50 people at my gym. And that was it. I just knew like, I was, I was like, I'm doing this forever. I didn't want to be a nutritionist anymore. I didn't want to be a PT anymore. It took me four years to stop being a PT after that. But um, I didn't want to be a nutritionist anymore. Pete didn't want to be a PT anymore. I'm like, I want to work with this. I want to work with people's mindset, with their habit change and with their mental health. Awesome. That was we the all, We all had a light bulb moment then. <laughs> wow. That's, that's incredible. And I know when I saw you then as well, you were doing the life a day. Yep. Um, so is and was that was that for that one year in particular? No, it's in its third year now. Um, is so, it? So he's yeah. continued rolling on. 
Yeah, so the Alifa data in the first year was was 365 one-to-ones for free um, with three, I think three catches, but the catches are for me, not for the other person. The catches are that I'm not allowed to sell on any of those calls. The second one is I'm not allowed to just take a person's story from that call and turn it into a piece of content. Um, so it's not just about generating testimonials. And the third one was that I'm not allowed to hold back the good stuff for the paying clients. So those three rules were to make sure I behaved myself and didn't turn into one of these sort of multi-level marketing. And are we allowed machines, to swear on this? Yeah. Machines, yeah. Like, um, one of those people that basically either gets you in, gives you something free so they can have a upsell you, so they can get testimonies, or so they can give you a teaser. Those are the three reasons that people in the industry give away free, free things. And as a result, people have got quite jaded about it. So I was like, right, I'm putting these three rules in place to make sure that I don't fall into that trap and to make and to protect the person that, you know, that I'm speaking to. And that, so that was in first year in 2018. And um, we finished it by November in 2018. In, in 2019, I finished it a little bit earlier than November. Um, I don't know where I'm up to this year. I think in around about August, I'll have hit my thousandth person. Um, wow. But last year, I upped the stakes a little bit. I said I said the fourth catch was a little was a catch for the other person. And it was a request, not a rule, which was that they pay it forward. So to do something nice for free for somebody else. So the idea being last year, the 365 would turn into 730, is it? Um, and then this year, it's called A Life A Day It Takes A Village, which is, is the biggest one of the lot um but what it was is every, all the other coaches i've worked with or even service providers or whatever through the last three years i called in a few favors and i got them to offer out free things as well so like the, my, the guy who i get my sports massages off offered out like 10 free massages um, one of my old clients who's a karate instructor offered like a free class every month for the year um, one of the PTs at the local gym did the same thing a free one-to-one every month another one did it one every week um, one of the other nutritionists from the BTN Academy she offered out um, a free corporate um, nutrition seminar every two months and stuff the annoying thing was this was all really kicking off and then the uh, current situation and happened COVID. and then covid um so it's so that that project's on a little bit on hold because it relies on people being on, on the idea of it takes a village you know the, the expression it takes a village to raise a child i want to change the face of mental health in the uk that's like that is my overarching like drive for what i do and i know that that's a ridiculous job to try and do on your own so it's like right how can i put more by the idea of the pay it forward was if I put a nice bit of good positive karma out into 365 people's lives and they put a little bit forward and pay it forward, that would actually, you know, you know. that. So if somebody wanted to kind of reach out to you to kind of um, be part of your uh, life a day, is that something that they do through your Instagram page or how do they reach out to you to, to do that, to have that chat with you? Yeah, um, just any anywhere on social media, really. There is actually, there's a contact form on the website for it. There's a whole page with a video up of what we've done. Um, okay. Like that talks about, like the, it talks about what the whole three-year process has been if people want to watch that. Um, mm-hmm. So that that is on on my, that's mindsetbydave.com slash a life a day. But I am Mindset by Dave everywhere. So like YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Find you Twitch, everywhere. Twitter. Twitch, Twitter, um, all that stuff. And I essentially, it ends up being a video call. So if a person emails, a person sends me a message through Instagram or through Facebook, we just do it right in the app, like as a video call. So it doesn't really matter. I don't like however it's easiest for the person that's trying to get in touch, really. Um, and as I say, I've not, I've, I've not actually kept tabs on the number directly this year because I found that to be too, like that for my own sort of, 
benefit this year really is like last year like last year's i became so obsessed with finishing it like, like you know like yeah. that I, I was like i finished it in november it's like now i'm gonna i did i did 87 in january last year um in 2019 and that nearly killed me because i did that on top of my regular work and the funny thing about bipolar disorder is that I just got manic and just cruised through that. And it didn't feel like it was doing any harm to me until my first weekend off in February. And, and I then, suddenly just, oh, and I crashed hard. Yeah. yeah. And the, the weird thing is, because I don't want to be one of these sort of marketing machines, like I talked about before, I ended up doing much more to promote my free work than I, do, I, I ever do to promote my paid work. So it was like... <laughs> It was, uh, was doing all these hours, did 80, you know, obviously 87 extra hours in January. And then my, my books at the end of January were like, yeah, Dave, you really need to do some paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, it's, it's a great thing that you've done and, and, and continuing to do, definitely. Yeah. And I'm sure it's impacted massively. Like you say, the snowball effect of that. Yeah. Um, and I know from Charlie, Charlie is a is a, a bit of an avid listener to your podcast yeah so I've, I've 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 done some listening um over over the months and things and again i, I posted this on, on my socials today um the one the most recent one i think it was it this week or last week about um eating disorders and social media addiction and what they kind of have in common for me struck probably the biggest chord yeah. a podcast has done in a long <laughs> long time um and i, I think you know for, a lot of people who follow all three of us, I guess, will definitely kind of find that as well. Is there, you know, maybe not an eating disorder, but maybe disordered eating patterns and things like that. And also, obviously, at this time, a lot of us are on our phones a lot. And I think just think for a lot of people, that link is going to be is going to be made. So would you mind kind of very kind of briefly touching on that episode and kind of the background to that? Just because I think that one in particular for a lot of people is going to have a lot of value in uh, this current time. Yeah. I mean, I think as like when Helen said about the talk I gave at BTN is I, I put a lot of me into what I do. Um, and this was a very kind of personal realization that I obviously when I, when I was, um, when I was lost the weight, I went down from 23 stone six to 14 stone two. So a loss of nine stone four. Um, I look like Skeletor without the muscles at 14 stone two because I'm 60, I'm 16 foot two. That's not how tall I am. <laughs> I remember you being very tall, but not yes, muscles. I'm, pre- yeah, I'm, pre- I'm pretty tall. I'm six foot two, not 16 foot two. Um, but I didn't see myself as kind of being like as small as I was then. And I didn't see myself as being as big as I was when I was, when I was bigger. And, um, I, you know, I basically realized that when I was trying to get down to that lower weight, I would, I went from weighing myself like once a week, originally I was weighing myself once a week. And then I found out that once a day actually worked better for me because I could see the average and it was all data at that point. And this is the important kind of distinction is if it's all data, it's fine. You know, someone can step on the scales and go, there's a bit of data. There's a bit of info cool but I went past that point to the bit where I'd actually go and do I'd like go and have a really hot bath with like a flannel over my face with just my nose exposed and stuff so I'd sweat it out and then like quit as towel dry myself as quickly as possible and then go and go on the scales and see what difference it had made and all the rest of it you know it's like it was just really feeding into those sort of eating disorder behaviors again and that body dysmorphic behavior and so that was what I, I noticed that back then. And when I noticed that, it took me it took me a good two years to undo or like the mess of that and kind of unpick it. They don't make you hold weight, but they do make you hold water and all of that, you know, all that business. 
So all I cared about was that number. And, I, you know, I'd be weighing myself two, three, four, five, six times a day. And the thing is, the more times I did it, the more times I wanted to do it. Like, you know, just before and after going for a pee and everything, like in my clothes, out of my clothes, you know, like standing on one leg, um, seeing if it changed, changed by moving it around. And it's the thing is that these behaviors, it's almost, it's almost like what the type of behaviors in, obsess, in obsessive compulsive disorder. When someone with OCD gives into their compulsions or their obsessions, it becomes, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it was, that was kind of what I saw back then. And um, it was only like recently that when I, I launched something called the Mental Health Family Hour, which is every Tuesday at 10, um, it's a live streamed PHSE style education that aimed to kind of fill the gap at the moment for the fact that me and my friend Sam, who normally go into schools, we can't. And um, we can't, we normally would see a few, a few sort of, we'd see five schools every half term, you know, basically, and we'd see about 30 kids per school. And um, we launched this thing seven weeks ago. And I went from checking my Instagram and my Facebook and I'd kind of stopped checking my Facebook because I just have my Instagram post automatically to my Facebook, you know, and it's, I don't post anything specifically to, to Facebook and, you know, I only go on Facebook if I've got a notification or a message. So I, I don't, I was kind of just checking my Instagram and that was about it. And then when I launched this, I launched it using YouTube as to, as to replay the videos and I, I launched it using Twitch to, um, to stream the videos. And then we actually started pushing it on Twitter because all the school organizations and stuff were on Twitter. And then because some of the businesses I wanted to work with were on LinkedIn, I started pushing it on there. And then there's my podcast. And what would happen... So were you then kind of getting a bit addicted yeah, to kind of checking 100%. it Yeah, 100%. And that was the thing is, like, I noticed that um, I would then go, I'd go basically, you know, basically through Twitch, Twitter, like YouTube, blah, 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 blah. And it was great because the, the initial response to it was fantastic. And it was like, you get, you get you in the, one of those moments where you're like, yes, I've made it. You know, something I've finally been doing for years and all the rest of it is finally getting the attention that I wanted it to get. And this is where the, this is where the trick is. I think the trap is for anyone who creates content is because we actually, we do want our work to get attention. So it is important, like for someone who's just got a social media account for their, for their own kind of personal use, I don't think the numbers are important at all because yeah. the only thing that those numbers give a person is the idea of their self-worth. Whereas for a business, what you want those numbers to be is data. Again, you want it to be data, like looking at the weight on the scales and going, okay, that's where I am, cool, and you move on with your life. What, what I was noticing was the fact that I was now going and assigning values to that and going, right, that, that video has not got the same amount of views as that one got in the first week, and this one's not got the same amount as that, and this didn't get the same amount as retweets as that, and we had 75 people watching the Twitch stream the first like, you know, and it's like, and then suddenly you create an entire story, and for the second time, like, that number on the scales used to define my self-worth, and I've never let my, inst I've never let my social media define my self-worth before. It was always just data. It was always just, this is how much this is reaching, therefore, that style of post is probably a good idea to go with again. Excuse me, just burping on camera. And when it went from that sort of um, from data into emotional, and it, it was funny because actually almost as a bit of a precursor, I, found, I realized that my Instagram was on, something was on 4,910 likes or something. And I was like, ooh, that's so close to 5K. It's like, and I, I posted on my Instagram saying, oh, let's get this up to 5K. 
And I got a message from this girl saying, I, I thought you I, I really love the content in your page, but now that you've posted that, I'm leaving because I, you know, the likes shouldn't mean anything. And I've, I've sent this big justifying post back to her saying, look, they do. I'm actually trying to reach as many people as humanly possible with this stuff. But the thing was, it was probably about two weeks later that I, snick, I slipped into this behavior. And I wonder if, I don't know if it was like a, it was a weird precursor and stuff, but I got into the fact that I just literally go in a circle around these social media apps, lose an entire evening doing it. And I feel miserable because of it. And it's like, you know, I often say to people like the, the Teddy Roosevelt quote, comparison is the thief of joy. You know, it's like the only way that those, the numbers on there would make me feel good is if they were better than ever, mm. ever before. Or they'd make me feel good if I went on there and there's like, you know, there's loads of other social media and um, mental health ed, like ambassadors that I follow. And the only way it'd probably make me feel good is if all of mine were better than all of theirs. And I'm like, oh my God, this is stuff that I've been talking to people about for ages in terms of your self-image. And I'd never really, I'd never fallen into that in terms of like such and such is more good looking than me or anything like that in social media. But I really got het up on this idea that, okay, if someone's content gets 10 more likes than mine, that content has more value. You know, it's like, and it's not a case at all. That's the thing is that those analytics are there to tell you, you know, they tell you a tiny part of the Porsche story. And you know, that whole their life a day project, I get messages from people now that said, oh, that call we had two years ago, it was like, you know, really beneficial. And that's like the first bit of feedback I've got in two years. It's like, so, so like, you know, you have to kind of cross your fingers and have a bit of faith that there's more going on in the background. Mm. And it's, it's bad because, um, I mean, I think if you've, you've heard the, the thing that the poem I wrote about it, about the whole thing that was on that um, episode, it's like, the the chunk in there that says like I'm stuck in a position for myself because if it was just if it was anything else, this is like why I think eating disorders are harder for sometimes for people to deal with than drug addiction or than alcoholism, because you can live without drugs and alcohol, you can't live without food, yeah. and the same and so for someone who's got a social media addiction, if that person can actually live without social media, they probably should, but for me to do the type of work that I want, which is mm -hmm. like, and especially in the current situation, like I can't mm. do anything face to face. Yeah, say so online is, is, is big, you know, it's gotta be now, isn't it? We've got a lot of police in the matter. So I, the good news was with that, I suppose, is I realized this early. I realized it after about a week of feeling miserable as opposed to about two years of feeling miserable. And then to reverse it, I was just like, well, what would I, what did I do to reverse it with the eating disorder? It's like, well, I, I basically stopped myself from weighing until, until I could look at that number and it just be data again. Um, so what it did is I said, right, I'm only going to check the numbers um, at the end of each day. Like, so I have, I have, that's the last thing I do, not overnight. And that was the other thing as well. I didn't want it to be the last. Numbers as the last thing at the end of the day. And then that's it. And I found that I don't have an, as much of an emotional reaction to that. And um, well, I don't have any emotional reaction to that at all. And if I actually find myself at any point on social media going, I'm not enjoying being on here. I'll, I'll literally come off because I think you need to be mindful of why you're on there. I think so. And, and do you know what? Sometimes for me, the most, some of the, the most poignant things that, 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 have, uh, that I've posted, for instance, are have the least likes, mm. but they are things that maybe somebody has messaged me going, I'm so glad you just posted about that. And it's, sometimes it can be, you know, it's usually nutrition based, obviously, but sometimes I have done a couple of things around my eating and things like that emotionally eating and stuff yeah and you don't really realize sometimes how like you know i don't i'm not fussed on how many likes i get about things i'm not fussed on you know kind of well 
how many people start following me from things and stuff. I'm more interested in the fact that is that content, you know, relatable to my followers and do they, do, do they, and are they actually going to take value from that? And I don't care about the rest of it. Yeah. I mean, I do, I do care about the reach to some degree, the, the, the amount of people it's getting to because that's the amount of people you can impact. But, um, you know, I think, but I also scrolling through my, you know, I can waste loads of time. And in the mornings, I'm in bed and you shouldn't go on your phone first thing in the morning. What do I do? Check my notifications, yeah. what's going on in the world. And, you know, and, you know, and I know I shouldn't be doing it. You know, <laughs> like you say, Nidia, you, you know. Yeah. But, but I still do it and, and you can, I can while away loads of time, but I mean, I, I wish in a way that the, or the dog or somebody was here going, get off your phone now, you know, watch this or, you know, mm. and because I wish someone could prompt me sometimes because I, I catch myself sometimes and I, I'm aware that I shouldn't be on it so much as I am probably. So Yeah. The funny, yeah. when you say you wish someone would actually say that to you, if you were actually addicted to it though, someone saying that to you would get you quite hostile. <laughs> because yeah, that's I, true, so on um this the this is the annoying thing is that I actually I I teach on social media addiction how to break the habits and all the rest of it. And it's like some of the telltale signs is like if you ask someone how would you feel if I took your phone off you for a week? Um, how do you feel if someone says you're on your phone a lot? Um, you know, it's like, and it's, it's, it's a quite a triggering response to a lot of people mm. is the fact yeah. that. So, so I think it's like, um, it's like, you know, if my, if my wife was to walk in and go, Oh, you're always on your phone. In fact, you know, someone I, I know, um, like, you know, the, the fact the word that you said there should, it's like when, especially if you say to yourself, Oh, you should know better. I hate the word should can't stand it because of what it does it's like the most shaming word in the world because it's it gives you that comparison it's like oh yeah i should know better i talk to other people about this but i'm not doing it so then we go into the whole question of well what does that mean about me what's wrong with me why can't i do this and, and then, then you then... have that comparison thing again don't you? you start comparing yourself to other people yeah and i mean i in all fairness i mean I, i'm lucky i'm a bit older now and i'm a bit you know resilient to things and i kind of don't kind of let things bother me so much but it's still you know hangs over you mm. can do certain things well yeah it's like if you look at a lot of like you know people who are putting content out online if you get someone who's been through a journey um if you get two two people who've been through the exact same journey and you one person basically puts the post out with the caption i've done this so you should too and the other one does it with one that says i've done this so you could too yeah like massive though, difference exactly um and we do we react we react to words a hell of a lot um so it's like uh I, I, there was a guy i know who's um he's really struggling and he put a he put a, a post up about it on saturday and um someone with all the best intentions just kind of said just get yourself off social media you know it's no good for you you should know better and I just looked at that reply and, and there ended up being an argument in the comments on this guy, on this guy's post. And I was just like, it's like, that's harsh. It's like, he's getting a notification every single time that one of them two people, it was two other people, but it was the person who was arguing about how the use of language, like if, if like saying things like, oh, you know, you should know someone else. It's, it's, yeah. And but when we say it to ourselves, it actually makes us, it destroys our momentum. It makes us, it makes us think, oh God, it makes us beat ourselves up more about the fact that we've done it. Mm. Exactly. And I, I, I'm a massive advocate of the word yet, like yeah. with kids yeah. and stuff. I'm yeah. like, they, I, I can't do that. And I'm like, you can't do it yet. You can't do it right at this minute in time. And, and the power of that word when kids go, oh, but, so I can, it's like, yeah, you, you will be able to 
just not, you know, you're going to get there, yeah. you know, yeah. and that powerful word, it, it means all, it means everything to them, you know, when they're really struggling with stuff, because I work predominantly, well, I do work with special needs kids. So they're like, oh, so I can. So it's like, yeah, there's a light at the end, you know, you're giving them light at the end of the tunnel. They're like, oh, I haven't been able to do that yet. You, won't be, you can't do it yet, but you will. Um, and it, that you say that the power of those kind of positive words can have such a massive impact yeah, huge totally mm. it's like the difference between if like when someone says why can't i do this and, and then if you get them to change that question for how could i do this yeah. Yeah. why can't i has the assumption that you can't and you will answer we answer things so specifically if someone asks us like why can't i do this you like well if, if i ask someone else why can't i do this they actually answer differently but when we ask when you ask yourself why can't i do this your brain doesn't go i'm going a minute dave here's 10 reasons why you could it's like no it just answers the question it was asked it answers so specifically whereas when you say how could i do this instead of your brain looking for the reasons you can't it starts to look for the reasons that you could teach yeah, yourself I'm, I'm always for you know taking a positive things you, you've got to have that really otherwise you know once you start that negativity within a classroom and it's, it's it's you know it's, it's not a good way <laughs> no. to be at all um so i'm always ever the optimist and i always have been and you know um and i've had very much an upbringing like that so you know my glass is always half full um but i mean i know for people at the moment with the whole lockdown situation and you know i live on my own um you know i have a dog for company who sat next to me but other than seeing neighbors and stuff i mean people at the moment this is a massive time for people's mental health just in the, the whole situation we're in at the moment and um kind of have you got any kind of ideas or tips for people in lockdown because we still we're in wales here we're still we're still completely in lockdown so um people aren't allowed to go and visit other people and um social line social distance and stuff so is there anything you kind of would give any kind of tips about with that the whole current situation yeah i mean it's it's interesting just general things like, really it's one of those there's one of those grass is always green on the other side situations right so for yourself um you know for someone who does live alone that you'll probably be missing other people's company more right than than your average person that does live with other people However, yeah i think it, it, it's that kind of like what i what i get a bit twitchy about is if i haven't seen i, I recognize it now if i haven't seen like a neighbor somebody for about three days that social like physical seeing somebody social interaction is what i miss definitely yeah. i mean it's fine on a screen it's you're still seeing people but it's it's just not the same yeah and i think it's 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 understanding that we're actually we're built for a combination of time to ourselves and seeing other people so for people who are who do, who do live on their own they're missing out on the time the time with other people whereas people who actually live with their family and now they've gone from being around their family for like you know between four and eight hours a day they're now between they're now with their family yeah. like 16 hours a day you know it's like it's um it's that difference again which the issue and um you know for yourself for other people that are that are on their own it's like doing things that can scratch that itch so if you know even if you can't see people like having having like zoom calls or whatever like if it's a zoom call with your friends doing something like we're doing an um we're doing a zoom beer tasting with some friends in a few days um which is like what i'm quite looking forward to it's like you know like probably never would have done that before this so it's um so it's quite nice but it's like the same for people who are in that situation it's like where we're all suddenly have this expectation that we've got to be around our family all the time and we've got to like it 
and we and there's something wrong with us if we don't and it's like no you know a, a too much of a good thing is is a bad thing you know like it's it's nothing wrong with it, the fact that actually if you do need some time to yourself because i don't think people realize just how much they get those little yeah. bits of time to themselves yeah. like you know like to mums to mums who do the school run it's like that they get that bit after the school run maybe to themselves even if they're going to work it's like they get the commute even like you know like to get to people who, are, who don't have kids or whatever um, and they just go from home to the office and back home again. It's like they, the commute is is actually their their. And their I suppose time. that is kind of like their little bit of self care, isn't it? In a way, and for some people in a day, to just yeah. to have that bit of time to yourself, and that is it. That for some people is their self care, isn't it? I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is, a lot of people, I think, right now are kind of realizing that. Because the, the the beauty the, the best type of self care is the kind that you didn't even know you needed. You know, like it was it was just looking after you all along. Like you know, we talk about the fact that one in four people will experience like a mental health problem at some point during during the year. But one in one in one of us has mental health. It's just that the other three out of four are kind of on top of theirs. They just have good mental health in the same way that all all of us, you know, one in one has physical health. We like, you know, we 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 only think about someone as being in poor physical health, but we see, we see think of people as being in good physical health when they're actually when they're not ill, and the same is true with mental health. It's like you know, a person who's not suffering from a particular condition just has good physical health, and for a lot of those people, it might just be things that they did proactively. So, you know, I've got a friend in Ireland who he said he he says his dad. Um, his dad just played footy like every like once a week with the guys from school and he just carried on until he was in his like 40s and he said he was like because of his generation he came over to england to do his to do his uni stuff and then by the time he went back to ireland and stuff the group of lads that he played footy with in school had all moved around and like so he never got back into it and then he got back into it a couple of years back and he said it just was amazing for his mental health like just being part of a team but his dad never lost that. You know, his dad went straight from school to college, carried on playing footy every single week. Didn't realize just how much that was giving him his self-care. And that's the thing I would say is like, it's obvious when we point to people who go to the gym a lot or get out cycling or whatever it might be. And it's obvious to point to those people and say, well, that person's self-care is out the window right now because the gym was that thing for them. But actually spending time chatting to your mates, actually having hugs and things that could have been part of your self-care. You know, having conversations face-to-face with your friends, physical interactions, they could have been your self-care. The one that I'm missing out on quite a lot is I used to listen to like I used to listen to hours of podcasts every single week. You know, I could actually, you know, catch up with an entire week's worth of Joe Rogan sometimes, and they're like three hours long. And um it was like because I'd be in the car, even if it was just 20 minutes to the gym and back, I'd be in the car, I'd have it on there. When I went out walking the dog, um, I'd put I'd sometimes put podcasts on then, or when I went out running, I'd put podcasts on then. And because of mine and my wife's working schedules and stuff, those often were kind of those things that I did on my own. I commute to work, you know, I work, I, I present up and down the country. So I'd have like sometimes days where I was on trains for six hours and I'd again listen to podcasts or read. I'd, I'd take that as me time. Like I've listened, I've not hardly listened to music in the car for about four years now. I always listen to podcasts or audiobooks. And that, like being stuck in traffic for me is not that not the end of the world you know i'm like i'm just learning stuff i I like i enjoy long drives i don't enjoy them i'm like my lower back doesn't enjoy them but um but like so though and it's like i didn't realize just how much that played a part it's it's funny you should say that actually because um i can't say my speaker's name because she will come on however um i ordered myself another smart speaker for my living room because 
funnily enough, you saying that about the whole, because I, 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 my job, I go around 10 different schools in Cardiff. I'm not in one. Um, and I'm in my car a lot. So I listen to lots of music, um, podcasts sometimes when I'm writing reports and stuff. And I've really missed it. Mm-hmm. So, so, at the, so in the last couple of weeks, I, I spoke to my, I spoke to my mum, I speak to my mum a lot. And I said to her, oh, I, I'm missing kind of like having some music on or, and so I ordered myself a new smart speaker for my living room so that when I'm here and I'm working, so I suppose I, I'm kind of having that little bit of self-care, which I didn't really realise I was having actually. Was, yeah. so, so I kind of sorted myself out there. I didn't even realise I'd done it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's like today, right? I, um, I had to go and do, I had to go, we, we do a main shop at like the main shop, like, you know, once a week. And then we do like a, a shop for like things like protein bars and energy drinks and all that stuff from B&M, like every other week. So we're not going to like all the shops in one week. And that this morning was the, uh, was the B&M run. And I got to B&M and then I got to the front of the queue to get into the shop. And then I realized that I felt a bit light and it's because I'd left my wallet at home. And all I thought was, Oh, well, it's 20 minutes back, like tw- like 25 minute round trip to get back to the house and get my wallet and come back around again. And I'm like, hmm, 25 minutes more listening to Richard Nichols, and, which is like my current podcaster choice. He's a, he's, if you ever, if you get the opportunity, he's another, he's, 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 he's a psychotherapist UK based and he talks basically very just straight to the point like I do. Um, and he's, he's great and his podcast is phenomenal. But so you, like, you I was like, the upside of that then. So that, honestly, I was just like, yeah. <laughs> I, I really did because um, <laughs> yeah, so I was I could have looked at it and said you know okay I've got to do this round trip but it's like the thing is I'd you know I'd be out the house for way I was actually enjoying the fact that I was out the house for a little bit longer mm-hmm. and it's like it didn't I'm always, I'm always wondering whether I did it unconsciously deliberately but I suppose when you obviously that wasn't really sort of an advice you said you, you've got any advice and I talked about why a person might be experiencing more stress the advice there would be to now to, to sort of my, maybe diversify and look for other areas where your um, where your self care can come from. So I mentioned before the like the face mask, you know, like like I've I've done a face mask. I've done quite a number of jigsaws while I've been on this. Jigsaws mm. are the are the best mindfulness. I don't touch my phone once while I'm doing a jigsaw because um, like my hands are busy and they need to like and they need to do. You know, I can play a computer game and still every now and then when I'm waiting for a level to load or something, mm-hmm. that whole automatic reach for the phone and all the rest of it. But I find jigsaws to be amazing for mindfulness. Um, yeah, like if you used to being in the gym and stuff, it's like, you know, finding another way to exercise, finding like and finding a way that you enjoy exercising as well, because you might not enjoy kind of like doing a thousand burpees at home and all the rest of it. I've kind of got way more into running than I've ever been before in this period. Would you, would you um, say as well, but, kind of like the stru- get getting yourself a bit of structure and routine into your day, but obviously with a little bit of flexibility, not becoming rigid to it. But would you say that that would kind of help somebody kind of at least build in a bit of normality, I suppose? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'd say it works. There's, there's, it works for a lot. Um, and there'll be some people that absolutely hate it. So yeah. um, this is this this is the thing is that there's there is, there is really this is why I t- I get people I call it lazy coaching. I get people to write their own self care lists, but it's not lazy. It's just that if I write it for them, there'll be things on there that they're not really into. Mm. You know, it's like and that's the whole thing is that everyone's self care list is like different. So for some people, having I get I do get up like I either get up to run in the morning. Um, I run every other day. So, and then I basically, if I don't get up to run, I get up and do 
couple of hours of work before actual work starts. So this morning, I, you know, I had a couple of hours to kill to go and to go to B and M twice um, because I got because I got I normally go up at seven to have a run so I can be home for like seven seven fifteen, have a shower, have some breakfast, and then start work at nine. And that's actually a lion compared to what I used to do because I used to be up to get to the gym at six. So, um, but that that helps actually being consistent with getting what time i get up um you know because even if i'm just doing it for slightly different reasons it helps a hell of a lot for me um having my entire day mapped out to be like i am because i because i'm working nine till five i don't think that would work although i've been more scheduled with that than i ever was before and i don't tend to work much in the evenings or weekends now because with the, you know, my kids they're at home like all the time it is essentially half term forever <laughs> and, um, never ending so, so so i have to kind of give them clear guidelines of when i'm kind of going to be available and not available so i've um i've worked a lot less evenings um which has been kind of nice I've, I've worked a lot less weekends i've only done the few hours on the weekend the whole since this whole thing happened um so but schedules work for some people and for other people they see them as a bind it is it comes down to how you view it if you see it and go oh god i've got to i was like you know first of all that's another one of those language hacks right is if you switch i've got to to i get to you know how many people it's like oh i've got to go around to see me mum. it's like how many people once this all thing's over will be like yes i get to go around and see yeah. me mum. you know it's like it's um I hope that I hope that the perspective that a lot of people come out of this from is is how much of a privilege it is to do a lot of the things we take for granted. You know, Absolutely. going into, going into a shop without having to queue up outside, forgetting mm -hmm. something on aisle one, realizing you're on aisle six, and then not having to either leave it till the next time you go shopping or go out and go around the entire <laughs> shop. Like how yeah. how many of those things did we just take for granted? So yeah, yeah, and I think like for me, like I I feel very lucky in that I saw my parents. Um, a month or so before lockdown because it'd just been my birthday whereas I've moved two and a half hours away from them now so I'm not I don't know when I'm going to see them again and my friends from home I mean I've got friends down here but even when I'm going to see them you know it's mm -hmm. you take for granted you know and some of the things that I would do for my own self-care of um, keeping myself occupied and busy and popping out the house to go to the shops or go and get in a coffee or going down to the town to go to the park and things like that, that I would take for granted. I've had to kind of like work around things to think, well, how can I do something like that for myself? Or yeah. what else can I do instead of that? I mean, I love cooking, as you all know, and I spend much of my life cooking because I love it, um, but in my spare time. And that's one of the things I do to, to, that I find is almost like a bit of therapy and relaxation for me is I will go in the kitchen and I will cook. Mm. Um, and it even like, I've got a bit twitchy now that if I've got something that's really easy, like say I've meal prepped a bit on a Sunday now, like yesterday I cooked some chicken thighs and tonight that means I haven't got loads of cooking to do. So I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, mm. So I have to create some kind of recipe around them then so that to kind of, you know, so it kind of occupies me because I love it so much, you know, it takes the kind of the, the joy out of my day. If I've got to just think I just got to reheat something, <laughs> but that's just me. Yeah. The absolute biggest piece of advice I'd give to people right now is to, it's going back to comparison though, is because online you'll see a lot of kind of infighting between people saying like, Oh, I'm out, like, you know, I'm out making banana bread and learning ancient Swahili um, and you should too and we're back at that should word um, but then you'll equally get people especially in the mental health space 
Um, and I disagree with this standpoint in the mental health space, to be perfectly honest, which is what makes me hugely unpopular, um, is, is that the mental health people will be like, well, stop, everyone should stop telling us what we should be doing and all this. It's like, okay, I agree that people should, should, should probably not use the word should. Like, it's like, <laughs> but again, it comes back to, we've got this idea that we only celebrate for people who are like there's, there's you've got two ends of the spectrum right you've got the person that's absolutely out there or at least showing that they're out there like they're still they're homeschooling the kids to the best of the abilities through the day then they're like baking in the evening and then they're kind of learning another language and they've learned how to draw and they you know they've they do, they're doing everything and those people exist or at least they show that they exist on on social media and then we've got people who that like the type of people that a lot of type of people I work with, which is the struggling to even get out of bed at the moment. And um, thing is, um, I've got. A I'll hopefully this thought will come out in the way I want it to because it's something that I've been meaning to write about for ages. And yet it is basically the question is not whether we should be celebrating the person who's just able to get out of bed or the person who's out there doing absolutely everything. The question is, why do we need a question in the first place? Why can't we celebrate for both? Because the mental health community right now is actually saying that the person who's doing well is shaming the person who's not. We're not. We're just all in different spaces. I was so going to say, again, that comes back to the comparison thing, doesn't it? it I mean, exactly. We, sh we shouldn't be like my my what I would call a productive day, if you're going to call it that, is going to be very different to you guys and what I would deem to be me having a good day is going to be very different to my next door neighbor you know yeah. so you i think you can't compare i think that's where that whole comparison thing you just can't you can't do it it's not fair to do it to people yeah but i think where the issue is coming from right now is that people are comparing themselves to their pre-corona self so some people have have lent into it and have gone and have decided right i'm going to do even more i'm going to push harder and that's right for those people but if those people are turning around and telling other people that's that's how they should be doing it, then there's a problem. But if that person is just celebrating what they're doing and they're happy about that, that's I don't see that as a problem. But at the other side of things, we do have people who who are struggling extra right now. And you know when you said like before, the glasses are always half already half full. Well, in terms of stress, people's glasses are already half full. Their stress container is already half full with the uncertainty of what's going on in the world. And for a lot of people, that means things get harder, and that's actually normal as well that's okay as well it's and the thing is when we compare ourselves to the person that's doing absolutely everything then we struggle but then the thing is what's even more i suppose malicious not malicious sneaky than that really is the fact that the person's now comparing themselves to the fact that what i could do eight weeks ago you know like and that's the whole thing if a person if a person before coming into this virus was like was out there being the ceo of their business kicking ass all day coming home looking after the kids like you know providing for the family then at the weekend getting a couple of rugby matches in in the gym every six at six o'clock in the morning all the rest of this just completely flying high then that person goes into this situation and has absolutely no idea what the future of their business is going to be when they when it all comes out of this. They're worried about that constantly, and now and then so, and they go into it with all the best intentions, and they keep their exercise up for about five days, and then one day they just can't be bothered, and then they just stop, and then that person now gets to a position where they can't get out of bed, and they compare themselves to the, the alpha version of them that came before that. And we get we get into this whole thing. People at that point generally ask themselves, "Why can't I do this?" or "What's wrong with me?" Which is even worse. "What's wrong with me?" is never going to lead you to a good place. 
it's, you know, whatever that person's feeling, wherever you need to be at any given time. I had a great expression for it yesterday called Corona Coaster. It's like, you know, wherever you are on the Corona Coaster, you might be a person that goes through the entirety of this pandemic absolutely like full on high achieving. And if you are more power to you, well, you know, awesome, well done. You also might go through this just basically surviving, making sure there's food in the cupboard and, you know, making sure you brush your teeth even once a day or whatever, or just getting out, just getting out of bed. And again, well done. You know, it's like, we don't need to like, I think that both of those positions are to be celebrated. Mm. I think wherever you are on um, and everything in between. So wherever you are now, the question is like, okay, if you are stuck in that lower portion where we're, we're like in terms of not being able to get you there, you know, you wouldn't turn around to your kids that you've like, you know, basically after the one day they walk in 10 steps and the next day they walk five, you wouldn't go over and boot them in the face and say, Oh, you walked 10 steps yesterday and you're only walking five today. You're such a disappointment. You're going backwards. No, you wouldn't do that. So don't do it to yourself. It's like we are in uncertain times. And I think and as and I think as humans, we we don't cope we don't cope well with uncertainty, no. do we? We don't we don't cope with that anyway. So in the whole situation that we're in right now, where we don't know what the six next six months going to look like, you know, I think we've got to kind of give ourselves a bit of a break. In that, you know, I, we all feel to a certain degree, kind of we don't know what's going on, nobody knows, you know, and we all feel a bit fearful of that. So I think we do want to need to give ourselves a bit of a break, whatever, wherever we are on the Corona coaster, as you say, mm. you know, I think it's, it's okay. But I yeah. think it's when you maybe get stuck in that, if that's what you were going to, is that what you're going to say then about if you get stuck in that? Yeah, I think, I think it's important. It's important to know that you can, you know, like the, like I said at the very sort of offset of, the, of our chat, it's like, it's stuck between the what's happening to you and what you can do about it. Like th this is happening and then the, everyone will be like, oh, this is happening to where all of us are all in the same boat and all the rest of it. It's like, we're not, we're all going through it completely differently. We may all be in the same boat, but we're all carrying different baggage company. And like he, like, you know, literally like he didn't know from one week to the next what's going on with that company, you know, whether or not like, you know, he didn't know what was going on with his staff, whether because whether he'd get any money, whether they'd get any money, all of that stuff. He wanted to keep every single one of them his job. He's got the, you know, he's got 15 staff. So he's got like, he's got not only his own worries, but the worries of those 15 people on there. When I, the first week going into this. <laughs> uh, the first the first the first week going into this um i went from being the most booked for speaking arrangements that i've ever been to watching my entire inbox fill up with cancellations and literally bricking it thinking i wasn't going to have any work and then two weeks into the corona and a lot of my one-to-one -one clients canceled because they didn't know whether or not they'd have money and all and and so on and so forth so the first few weeks of this i was like right what I don't know what I'm going to do. I genuinely, don't know what I'm going to do for business. And um, and then it, and then Zoom webinars came along, and you know, and a lot of my one-to-one -one clients came back because they realised that they could do with talking to somebody about this stuff whilst whilst it was all going on. Ooh. And I've been and I've and I've been all right. Like, but I didn't think it was going to be for a couple of weeks. Um, I knew we'd be all right like financially because my wife's got a, like my wife's got a job that she was getting kept in on 100 percent, but she's been working from home for the last three years so it was no real no two years so it's not really been any different um apart from she doesn't go out to meetings and stuff now so i knew we'd be okay from that position but i thought that the business that i've been building for the last five years six years 
I'm like, what's going on? What's going to happen with that? And it's like, so, every, but then, you know, everyone's in it. I've got clients with health anxiety and actually most of them, most of them, it's like business as usual, really. They've been worried about catching something for like years, but every single person I speak to, they often say, oh, we're all going through this together. It's like, we are and we aren't. And this is the whole thing, like, we're, as, as humans, it's like we argue over whether we're the same or whether we're different. And the answer is we are both the same and different. You know, we are, we are, there's things that unify all of us and there are things that make each one of us unique. And the same is true with us going through the situation. There's the global situation unifies all of us, but each one of us is, going, is carrying our own different amount of baggage through this particular, you know, through this particular journey. And that's, you know, it doesn't mean that your problems just suddenly are worthless because, they go away um it doesn't mean that because the the, the global pandemic is a, is much bigger than anything that you're still really and it's like no you, and now you're struggling with that plus the things you were struggling with before so your problems aren't insignificant they are significant and you deserve to be able to talk about them you deserve to be able to open up about them and not you know not be kind of accused of kind of oh you know we've got a global pandemic on here it's like is it, <laughs> it's like that stuff yeah, yeah, and I think that, like you say, it's it's going to be we're all we're all going through it, but how we're all going through it and how we're all dealing with it is going to be massively different from person to person and family to family, you know. And I think that's really worth noting that you know it's not the same for everybody. It's not, and yet everyone online is suddenly an expert. <laughs> like none of us yeah. actually know. None of us actually know, but I know at least a hundred experts online, and it's like, and people speak like people don't speak about like Corona online as if it's an opinion. They speak it as this. This is exactly what you've got to do, and it's gone from don't listen to the government. They're a bunch of liars. To totally listen to the government and like do everything you're told. Back to don't listen to the government again. It's like I'm not sure. I, just, I mean, I'm not sure you know what i'm supposed to be doing ever um and and, um, and like you know i'm gonna pull, pull out a really weird name let's go with something that sounds like go it's probably it. welsh just for helen it's like and, Gwyn <laughs> and gwyneth down the street <laughs> or gladys glynis <laughs> down the street definitely knows that we're going to be in lockdown for another 18 years um and she said that <laughs> the other day and therefore i feel you know it's like um you know I, that's i would say that's that those those type of things how people are responding to it is probably one of the things that gives my brain more things to think about because i'm just worried about the rise of people having anxiety around being close to each other after all this is after, over i'm worried about the anxiety of people going back to work um and some people not wanting to be in the office other people's wanting to be in the office i don't like division i don't like i know we're, we're all different and we all look at things differently there's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all approach but but I do worry. Um, that's the only. That's what that was. That, I suppose that would be the one thing I worry about the most. Because for once, um, I don't tend to kind of worry too much about a person, a person's problems, unless they talk to me about them. Because otherwise, I'd be worried about everyone's problems all the time. Um, but for once, I actually think that there's an opportunity to um, the anxieties that might come out of this in terms of health anxiety, in terms of workplace anxiety in terms of like fear of, of touch or uh, all those type of things that could come out of this. I actually think there's a chance to get ahead of it and actually do some work to actually talk to people. Um, and that's going to be one of my upcoming podcasts in a few weeks. I'm going to talk about the, the idea of returning to work um, and what, because I've, I've stayed extremely quiet on the whole coronavirus thing simply because I'm not an expert in diseases. No. However, I am, I well, I hate, I never hate to refer to myself as an expert at all. Well, you are, you are. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I am, 
I am somewhat of an expert in, um, in human behavior, in anxiety and stress, and, and particularly in comfort zones. Um, and comfort zones are really being tried and tested right now. Um, and when a comfort zone shrinks, it's hard to make it grow again. So if, a person, if there is a person that's listening to this, that's like loving being indoors because they don't actually have to go near any other people and all the rest of it. Um, like we don't want that person's comfort zone to shrink like that because we, don't, we want the person to have the option. And like a lot of introverts right now are like thinking to themselves, yes, I, can, I may never have to go back to the office ever again. And it's like, well, you know, you probably will have to yes. go back to the office at some point. You might never have to go back for a five day week again. You might only have to go in once a year for like an office, like gathering or like a, a, a meeting or, or like something you have to go back for. But if that person gets used to working from home and not being face to face with people, even though being face to face with people made that person uncomfortable in the past, um, there will be significantly higher anxiety for that person when they do have to. So it's like, it's like letting the comfort zone shrink to that level. Um, and I think there's an opportunity to get ahead of that. So that'll be something that I'll start banging on about in the, within the next few weeks, I think. <laughs> awesome. Look forward to that. Um, so we've also, yeah, I, think, I think it is a, it's a big thing. I'm sorry. I cut you off there. Um, no, it's fine, Charlie. Carry on. So we've obviously like you've touched on loads of kind of different things there in terms about like, kind of self-care um and kind of like almost like maintaining kind of mental health rather than kind of reacting as, as such um have you kind of yeah. got any any other things that like, again obviously it's not, never a one-size-fits-all but have you got any things that you kind of oh, there's Bryn. <laughs> any things that you like to share oh, sorry Bryn's a uh Bryn's a third co-host um <laughs> any any kind of things that you like to share in terms of kind of like men, mental health maintenance, for want of a better word, um, that you know maybe maybe could be useful for people listening. Yeah, I mean this will go this will go back to the uh, the talk that Helen saw me give a couple of years back. Actually, um, is the idea of slingshots and boomerangs. Um, which is the idea that I came up with whilst drunk in a pool in Mexico. So therefore it has to be scientifically legit. Um, <laughs> basically is to look out for something called what I call your boomerang behaviors and a boomerang behavior maybe smack you in the face in the long term. So if you're drinking for stress relief, um, which I imagine a lot of people are right now is understand that drinking for stress relief. Um, it may alleviate stress in the short term, make you ah, feels better, you know, that kind of thing. But if a person's doing that excessively, if they're having more than like a drink or two, that's going to impact that person's sleep. It's going to make them dehydrated. It's going to, you know, your body has to process alcohol. That is a stress in itself. Stress isn't just what we consider to be mental stress. Um, so that person's probably going to find that over time, that coping mechanism does them more harm than good. And from person to person, it differs how long that boomerang comes whipping back. But we all use these, like not just al not just alcohol. So, like the one I used as when I, as a kid was you know, for comfort. I was getting bullied in school, so I put you know I used food. Um, now, food makes the gives you comfort for about ten seconds, and then you have and then basically the that's the boomerang going forward. When the boomerang comes whipping back. You've got that whole lovely layer of self-loathing now. So all the problems I had were there before that were there before were still there. Now I've got a layer of self-loathing on top of it. So instead of getting rid of any problems, I got rid. I felt like I got rid of them for like ten seconds. 
Um, isolation is actually one of those as well for uh, going back to, to the introvert. If someone, this is how people can become isolated by this is like, they don't respond to the group chats and it feels nice to not respond to the group chats because you're fed up with keeping up with them. And then actually one day it's like, oh, actually, I might just leave. I might just leave the more one-to-one messages for a little while. And I might just not get back to anyone on that. And then eventually, you know, people start messaging and event, and then by that point, like, and it feels nice at first, you know, for that person, because they might feel overwhelmed by how many messages they've got to keep up with. But then when that person then comes to it, we forget how to communicate. We forget how to reach out. And if that person does become isolated, it's um it's it's harder just in the first place, so it can be quite it can be quite tricky. Um, caffeine's a biggie, you know, to get us over that hump. It gives us the idea that we've got energy. We've not. <laughs> it gives us, you know, as as you both know as nutritionists, it just binds to your adenosine receptors and makes you think like you know you're actually more alert. It's a credit card for energy. You know, it's coming back with interest anytime now. And credit card in itself. So just watch out for those things. You know, you might find that if like if you've if some of your coping strategies have been taken away from you, you're more likely to go to things like alcohol or food or smoking or, you know, anything like that right now. Binge watching um, YouTube, binge watching porn, online gambling, just for a bit of excitement or whatever. All these, all these things, they're, they're very easy to slip into. And the reason people slip into them is because of the boomerang effect. It gives you instant gratification. And I suppose they're because it, and, and am I right in saying that those people are in search of some kind of like dopamine hit, really? They want that kind of, happy hormone kind of release or is it more of a do you see it more as a, as a stress reliever kind of it can be both i mean the thing is that i suppose the the happy the dopamine hit is a stress reliever isn't it it makes you feel yeah. and particularly if you get serotonin as well it's like you feel like you stress is it does feel like it's relieving stress now the one a, a prime example of this is people like using gaming for example i use gaming i love gaming to um, as a way to chill out but there are certain games that chill me out like basically playing mario or whatever will chill me out but if i play call of duty competitively <laughs> like that's not doing and that's that's if that's not stress relief that is that is actual causing more stress. My cortisol levels could not be more high when, than when I'm doing that. So that's the whole thing. Is I suppose a person's usually I would say the, look at what the positive intent is. You know, if someone's t- like if people before all this would drink socially, that person's thing might not have been the stress relief or the alcohol. It could have been the connection that the alcohol brought. So like if all of their friends drink and the only way to spend time with those friends was to drink, that person's missing out on connection. We might be missing out on connection and physical touch, right? now so that might actually make us go looking for that physical comfort in other areas like drinking and it's like trying to identify what the positive is Um, and then the second step is to then to say right well how else could i get that without there being sort of negative repercussions and but they tend to be they tend to be what i call slingshot behavior so slingshot you pull it back you put it under tension then you let it fly forward you have to put the effort in first so it's like sitting down with a jigsaw for me it's like, yeah, okay, the first 10, 15 minutes, like, or actually, well, the jigsaw seems to be quite easy, actually, for me these days, but like, um, because I just get into it straight away, but sitting down with a book, right, let's say I'm, I, I really want food, but what I really want is the stress relief that comes from food, but I know that sitting with a book is going to help me do that instead. Now, if I sit with a book, first sort of 10, 15, 20, 30 minutes with that book, my mind's like, 
trying to drag me away from that book to do something else to do, you know, like go on the phone for the instant dopamine hit that that's going to give you. Phone, big time sling, sorry, big time boomerang, you know. You think it's going to give you validation like we talked about earlier on. You think it's going to give you all the rest of it and it doesn't. It makes you feel like you're, you're scratching that itch only to kind of then make you look at your watch, realize it's two o'clock in the morning and wonder what the hell are you doing with your life. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, like sometimes going to the alternate behaviors is, is, it's harder now. And because it's like harder to go for a run than it is to, you know, phone a Domino's and get it delivered. It's, um, it's harder to need to prep food and like, and it's, and it's also, again, remembering that that is, that is hugely individual. So for a person who's not really prepped food before, that's even, that's harder than it would be for say you, Helen. Um, when I was in the, you know, prep mode back mm. in the day, mm prepping food was way easier then than it is for me now and that's not because I've got any less skilled at prepping food it's just that I'm not in the same flow I'm not in the same momentum as I was back then um so it's like understanding that because as soon as something's difficult we have this tendency to kind of go oh well this is difficult so I guess it's just not for me this should be easy I go back to that word should again so that was I say is like to each each person out there, understand that what you, what the behaviors that you try that you if there's a behavior you want to change right now, understand what what it's given you. What's the positive? It's not just food is delicious. You know, it's not that. It's um, it's like you know, it's basically what is that food giving you? Is it giving you comfort? Is it a boomerang? Is it giving you comfort just to take to make you feel even more uncomfortable afterwards? Is it giving you stress relief only to make you feel even more stressed afterwards? That stress relief is the itch you need scratching. The eating the food or the having the alcohol is not the, scr- the itch you need scratching. Um, and I suggest people to go for it. Well, what I call the takeout menu. And the takeout menu is you write a list of, of what gives you stress relief or what gives you comfort. You write that list. And the reason I call it a takeout menu is because of the difference of how we view a to-do list and a takeout menu. The way we look at a to-do list, if there's 10 items on that list, we think I've got to do all 10 of them before that's done. That's not what you want your stress relief list to look like. It's like, oh yeah, I've got to have a bath, do a face mask, play with the dog, um, do a jigsaw. It's like, and then as soon as that happens, it's like you become more stressed about the idea of de-stressing. Whereas with a takeout menu, you don't look at the 300 items that are on that takeout menu and think I've got to eat all of them before I've had dinner. You go, which one do I fancy? I'll have the korma and I'll have a naan bread and maybe I'll have some rice. And you, you select something off there rather than it being, I've got to do all of these things. And that, what I would say to people is write as many things as you want on that list and even put some things on there that you, you've never even tried. You were taught this whole curiosity killed the cat. It's like, no, curiosity will one day cure cancer. People being curious about things creates inventions. And you know, so a person out there, like if they're thinking like I, I talked about the, the face mask thing, I literally put that in last year because um, for the month of mindset, because I thought, you know what, I always bang on about the fact that my list doesn't need to look like your list and doesn't need to look like someone else's list. So I put four or five things on that list that weren't my natural go-tos. And I committed real, along with my clients that if we're, we're all going to do this list together. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do all the things on there that aren't natural to me. And I found that I really enjoy sitting with a face mask on, um, while I'm reading a book or whatever, or just actually having, going for a shower and then putting the face mask on, wearing my dressing gown and just having a full on sort of diva decadent moment. And I've, I've used that. Exactly. And now, I always looked at people pampering on TV or whatever before that and thought, oh, what are you bunch of losers doing? What's the point in all of that? And I found out that I actually really enjoyed it. Um, and that's like, so that's why I say to people, write that list as long as you want it because you don't have to do all of it. 
But one day you might go to that takeout menu and you always have your korma and you might look at it and go, you know what? I actually feel like going a bit brave and having a vindaloo today. And you want it to be like that with yourself, careless. Do you want to go and go, you know what? On there is meditation and I've not given that a go yet. I'm going to give that a will. And I'm just going to give it a try. I'm going to be curious. I'm going to explore this idea and see what happens because we get so stuck in our patterns that we think that only the stuff that comes naturally to us is right, you know, and we, you know, we need to break through. From and that I, I, I agree with that in that I, over the last few weeks, have, have tried um, guided meditations and things and something that I, I'm not one, I, I'm, I'm a bit of a, I'm on the go kind of person. I find it really hard to sit, kind of use that as a tool to be able to, 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 to focus myself and, and feel just to be, which, which is something, ooh, Bryn's getting a bit rowdy, um, <laughs> that I sometimes do find a bit tricky. Yeah, but this is the thing is like, if you, if we go back to like, I mean, we've all got a background in the gym as well. It's like, if you go back to lifting a weight, that the idea of lifting something that's heavier than you've done before was kind of the point. It's like, it's like if that was heavier or harder, we embrace that and we learn, you know, we, we learn to lean into that. So that, and that's the thing, like, that's I absolutely love running right now. Like I, I never thought I'd say that, you know, because the whole, I'm not particularly light thing. Um, but I absolutely love running right now. And one of the things I love about running is how much of it is an analogy for sort of mental, excuse me, mental resilience. You know, the amount of times I want to stop when I'm running. But I teach myself to push a little bit further. The amount of times when I'm stuck running, the big, the big mantra I use a lot of the time is it's not for this one, it's for the next one. This is the slingshot. You know, the slingshot, you get the reward after you've put in the work. Like, so that way, if I push harder on a run, um, I'm running a marathon on me owning like three, four days. <laughs> but it's like if I push, if I push like harder, it's for the run that I'm going to. And the same when you, if you if someone t- picks up meditation and they find it really, really difficult, good. You're supposed to, you know, like if you were, uh, if you kind of just drop into it dead easy and it's dead, you probably didn't need it in the first place. You know, like yeah. think about it. Like I think I say, let's talk about meditation is like, especially when your mind gets distracted, the trick is not to not have a mind that's distracted. The trick is to have the control to bring it back to center, to bring it back to whatever you're focusing on. And that's like, if we, you know, let's do in your reps, like you would in the gym, if you're doing a lap pull down, the trick isn't to just go, okay, I can, there's, there's 55 kilos on this lap pull down. All I've got to do is pull it once and then I've developed me back. And then we're done with one rep. That's not the case. You know, it's like, and the same is true when it comes to things like meditation or when it comes to things like journaling or, you know, it's like people expect these things to be easy because they're self-care and it's supposed to be easy. And it's, um, it's not because we're just not, we've not greased those grooves, you know, like we've, we've learned bad habits. Like, you know, you'll, um, if you've ever tried to try to teach someone to squat, who's learned to squat badly before it's like, it's harder than it is to teach a person who's never squatted before because you've got to undo things. That's the whole thing. We've got these patterns, ratification. So they feel easy. Our brain accesses them quickly. It's called neuroplasticity. It's a neuroscience kind of theory where the literally the, like, well, we think we talk about it in, in exercise as well as that the neurons that fire together, wire together, you know, when your brain goes, I'm stressed food that becomes a well-oiled well-greased machine over time and going okay i'm stressed jigsaw or i'm stressed read or i'm stressed you know and with, the, with the neural plasticity that can be i mean i've done some of that stuff to do with working things and 
you know, um, you know, that can be rewired. Exactly. Yeah. It's so like it's, it's there's no kind of, oh, well, that's why that's my go to. That's it. No, no, no. You can rewire that. Yeah. It's like it is your go to now. That yeah. doesn't mean you can't overcome it. And yeah. it's like you've had you've had years and years and years of practice of that being your go to. It, it wasn't your go to at birth. You just practiced it. You just didn't realize you were practicing it. You know, like my kids, um, I, like they play they play Fortnite, right? Oh, quite a bit. Um, and they keep on telling telling me to have a, to play it with them. And you know what? I'm really I'm really good at Call of Duty, but Fortnite I just can't do. I can't do the fighting and building thing at the same time. And um, I had about four games where I went into the, I went into a match and I got killed like within seconds. And then the second time I managed to get a gun and just as I was loading it, I got killed again. The third time I got a gun and got some ammo, got it loaded, stepped outside the door, got killed, and it was like no, right, okay. But now that same thing happened with my kids when they first played, obviously. But there's this all expectation around like you know none of them realised that playing Fortnite's hard the first 10 games or the first 20 games because they just want to play it because all their mates are playing it and there's a bit of social kind of well maybe not pressure but there's kind of an expectation around it so they work through the fact that those first few games suck and that's the difference that's the difference between someone who gets good at something is when you work through the bits that suck you know you have to like meditation you have to go through the few that suck like you really do um and guided ones are better because someone else is going to you now gently bring your attention back to the moment mm, and like yeah. and rather than you having to say that to yourself because you're like for fuck's sake <laughs> yeah i need to concentrate yeah yeah why aren't i concentrating and um but yeah okay that's the whole thing there's um there's this jocko willing video called good uh and he's like i'm not alpha in the slightest and like i said but it's the most alpha thing i ever listened to it's like whenever something goes wrong his answer is always good it's like Failed the job and failed the job interview. Good. It's like gives you an opportunity to go away and work on your resume or whatever he's saying. It's like he says basically, whenever you fail at something, if you start to see it as good, because it's like looking for the opportunities to make it better. And I do pull that out a little bit, you know, every now and then where it's like when I'm like training for this marathon that I'm doing, like the idea of it being a marathon on my own, no crowd, no medal, no nothing. Um, like that freaked me out at first, but then I was like, actually, there's a really good opportunity to grow here. There's a because I've done a marathon with a crowd and I've done a marathon with a medal and all the rest of it. It's like, so you know, this is the next step without me having to do an ultra marathon. Um, but it's like, okay, instead of saying, oh, these are all the reasons why I can't do it because I'm used to having the crowd, I'm used to having the medal, all that stuff. I looked at it and I'm like, well, there's all the reasons why maybe I should and actually challenge myself, but um. I did a training run for it on the other, the other day. I did um, actually only yesterday. And um, I got to the point like around the sort of half marathon like, like point where I was just like, oh, this really sucks. And my, and my brain was like, yeah, it's supposed to because you're pushing yourself. And we expect pushing ourselves. It's like, you know, think, I think resistance training is the greatest expression for it ever. You know, like we think of that as being in the gym, but it is, it's resistance training. We're pushing against resistance. When we're trying to change something, do something new, be something different than what we are, then it's, yeah, okay, it doesn't come natural. It's not natural. But that doesn't mean that, you're, that it's not something that you can't do yet. You know, it's like going exactly. back to that. And so, and that's the thing is we've, we've become conditioned, I think, to think that, that if something doesn't feel like is hard, then it's reserved for other people. Like it's yeah, reserved. Yeah, I, I definitely felt like that when I very first, in the last, say, four years, stepped back into the gym after I went there as like a, you know, in, when I'd been at uni, I very much felt like that, you know? It was kind of, I, I felt like I hadn't got a clue, you know? And it was, and I was having to lean into something that I really didn't know what I was doing. 
and I but I did reach out for help at that point, obviously. But but it's 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 not easy. Mm, no, social media as well. I think obviously Helen, all three of us, we use social media in a positive way as much as possible. Um, yeah. And when I first had to sort of talk on camera, it was the most appalling thing I think I've ever done. It was it was bad. I think I re-recorded it about ten times walking down the street. But yeah, it's it's uncomfortable, isn't it? It's it is uncomfortable. Yeah. It's a hard mindset. Yeah, well, it's but it's supposed to be. Like this is the thing. I am. I don't know if either of you ever seen my poem. That's called "You Are Not Weak." Um, it's basically the first line of it is "You are not weak. The journey is just difficult." It's like we get so used to focusing when something's hard that we're the problem. We're not the problem. The fact that the thing is hard is the problem. And as we like, it all comes back to comparison again, right? Because like some pe- people out there might just go into the gym and take to it like to a duck to water. Um, other people might take months or even years to get used to it same with food prep same with learning a musical instrument or a language some people just have a much more natural affinity to it and that's 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 the thing is like there are the you know there are that doesn't mean that it's not something that's out of reach for you and um it's like i i often wonder now because i taught myself how to use illustrator like two weeks ago and I'm putting cartoons out already. And I thought actually that's quite quick. I think, I don't know. I don't know if they're any good, <laughs> but um, I'm just like, I'm just enjoying it. And I just, I obsessively jumped into, um, I obsessively jumped into, um, to like to YouTube videos and tutorials on this and just like got help basically, you know, like I didn't, I didn't learn it just by kind of trial and error. I thought, how can I speed this up a little bit? I got watched a lot of YouTube tutorials, but I actually looked at it and I'm like, I wonder, I hope I've not, by actually saying, oh, well, I, I kind of put a post saying, oh, you know, I only started learning this two weeks ago and here's what I've done. And I'm really proud of myself for it. And for a moment, I was just like, I really hope that there's no one out there that's been taking like two years to get to like being able to draw and fill a circle. And they, they're like, oh my God, like he's just done this. And it's, I hope, I just, I just hope I've not made anyone feel bad with that is what I mean. I'm sure you have. <laughs> because, um, because, well, it's, I'm, I'm used to, the, I think I'm used to, um, the, a lot of things in life don't come natural to me. Like running did not come natural to me. Um, with like, I, I played three different musical instruments, but all of them took a lot of work. You know, like I. This is why I think that the illustrator thing is quite quick for me because I'm like, I, I feel like I've been playing the guitar since I was 15, and I feel like I'm better on Illustrator in two weeks than I am on the guitar in 23 years. You know, it's like, um, but it's, um, but like I'm used to the fact that things taking work for me. I wasn't physically a very physically adept person you know growing up I was I didn't get into exercise and like until like into my 20s and as a result I had to fight really hard for like any gains that I made and stuff in terms of the gym and that um and but but yeah so when I do actually learn something quick I really notice it and I think those little like, those little okay. wins in that sense we should quite quickly or you've got used to something quite quickly and I think sometimes we're easy enough to kind of just criticize ourselves aren't we when you know when when things aren't going right or whatever whereas we don't always celebrate the little tiny things that we manage to do day to day or that we learn quite or pick up quite quickly and you think oh, actually um, yeah, I should sort of pat myself on the back for that mm, yeah yeah, I think maybe, maybe I suppose it's like the the mindset I got like 
five years ago or six years ago was that I realized what I said earlier in the intro, which was about self-help, you know, becoming shelf help. It's like, I, I remember listening to a podcast, um, the Shalene Johnson show. I don't, I don't listen to it anymore because I found it just too, too American. That's American is totally and utterly an adjective. Um, but it's like, I first found it too cheesy and stuff after a while, but there was, um, there was one point on it that said, um, schedule time for implementation like for implementing times of things that you've learned. And that was, I, I think I remember that being like the year before that was in an October as well. Weirdly, a lot of things happened in October, the year before I did my first ever talk. And I was like, right. Okay. As soon as I've learned something from one of my courses, I'm going to go and talk about it. I'm not going to put myself out there as an expert on it, but I'm just going to be like, right. I'm going to teach someone else or tell somebody else about this. So that that's going to help cement the thing in my head. And I think that was the thing with the, with, um, with illustrator is the fact that I was just like, you know what? Um, I'm going to get one of the, I'm just going to put one of these cartoons out there and I don't really care whether it's like, it's going to be the worst one I ever do because it's my first one and I'm, I'm okay with that. And I think having that sort of mindset and like almost being like, right, well, you've got to start somewhere made me, it took the pressure off and just made me enjoy the process a little bit more. And I just put the cartoon out there and then a tweaked one and then put another one out there. And I kind of, I just, I'm just enjoying it. Um, and that's like, you know, it's one of the more, it's one of the more enjoyable parts of the work that I do. So so I think that that helps with it a lot as well. Definitely. So, um, I'm jumped in on you again. Sorry, Helen. I'm not very good at that today. No, it's all right. <laughs> so you've got a slight lag today, so I'll let you off. Oh, I said. Yes. <laughs> um, so what we what we were going to kind of finish up on, um, Dave was kind of talking about the um, the family hour and things. Um, Helen and I kind of kind of chatted about this this earlier. So, do you do you want to kind of quickly run through? what that's all about and obviously it's on it's online at the moment and things because obviously things have you did you did touch on it earlier yeah so what's that what's the what's that kind of what's the what's the goal of the, the family hour the goal of the family hour okay so i am someone who hears the phrase more needs to be done for mental health i would say if if it's once a week that's a that's a slow week you know i hear that phrase every single week um, and I decided a long time ago that, right, what am I going to do to be the, to be one of the people that contributes towards that? And a life a day was the first thing that came out of that. Um, and then while I was doing the first year of a life a day, I reached out to another local person because I'm in the Northwest and there's, there's not, I said, I said, there's not much, I didn't think there was much going on up here. I've found things since, but, um, there wasn't much going on up here in terms of mental health work. And I found this, this organization, the CIC called change talks that were going into the schools. And I just basically said, I just basically messaged him to say this guy to say, you know, thanks for everything you do. Thanks for going into schools and teaching this. I think it's fantastic. Um, I'd love to kind of meet up and get you on the podcast to talk about it. Um, and he like, you know, just basically bring some attention to what you're doing. And then we, he, he and I met, we did a podcast and we became really good mates. And he was like, do you fancy coming into a school and doing a talk? And um, I was like, hell no, because children scare the crap out of me. Um, because <laughs> the last time I was in school, I was getting beaten up by them. So um, <laughs> I'm a little bit bigger and a little bit like older now. And but um, but yeah. So and and then and then again, it was just that that moment that I tend to lean into these things, and that wasn't what I always did. I used to run away from anything that challenged me, which is why I'm so passionate about getting other people to lean into the things that challenge them. Um, and I thought, you know what, because this terrifies me, that's exactly why I'm going to go and do it. And I went and did it and I loved it. And, um, and then I said to him, right, next, that I did one school that term. And I was like, right, how many of these did you do? He was like five every half term. I was like, right, I'll do a week with you every, I'll do a week with you, all five schools next half term, if, you, if you'll have me. And he was like, yeah. 
sure. And then, um, and then I just carried on doing that for like the last, for the like last two years. And then he and I, at the beginning of this had a conversation and it was like, we asked that question again, what can I do? You know, how can we do this now that we can't physically go into school? We'd got, we'd had five schools this half term that we couldn't see. And, um, I was like, well, I'm doing, weirdly enough, I'd want, I, I wanted to get into Twitch to just, just to play computer games and call it work, um, which was essentially <laughs> the reason. Um, so just before all this lockdown stuff happened, I bought myself like the webcam that I'm chatting to you guys on now. Um, I didn't buy the green screen that's normally behind me. That was an afterthought. But I bought myself like a few things so that I could, um, so that I could stream video games. And I was like, well, how about we stream it through Twitch? like and and just stream it and give people a link to actually to watch it and then we can have you know we used to have 30 kids in a class and it's like well now we can have as many kids or as many classes as join in because we had a lot of the schools we had contact with they still had staff in and they still had like they still had some kids in and they said we'll, we'll take them into this the hall um and showed like you know put it up on the screen and all the rest of it so that's what happens now is like is we've got I can't remember what number. I feel like it's about 50. <laughs> but it's, there's a lot of schools basically around the Northwest and around the whole country um, now that basically tune into it at 10 a.m. On, um, on every Tuesday. So that'll be tomorrow morning. We're doing a one on eating disorders and um, body image tomorrow. And at 10 a.m. every Tuesday morning, um, we do an hour hour-ish it's more like an hour and 15 as i'm sure you can tell by this i talk a lot um but we do we do an hour on individual topics so we did an hour on anxiety we've done an hour on social media we've done an hour on depression um we've done an hour on stress and coping mechanisms and as i say tomorrow it's on um body image and body um body dysmorphia and stuff and then um, we've got yeah we've got a few more weeks of it I'm not quite sure how many as long as there's actual demand for really is it and what we do is, is we aimed stream, at a certain on, age group so this this yeah this is why it's we call it the, the the family hour one of the big things that i noticed because off the back of me doing the stuff with change talks i got invited into schools of all different ages and where i actually found the best benefit to be was like year six Year six are amazing. Just like just like little sponges that haven't got the egos that say, I was too cool for this mental health stuff. Um, and they absolutely love it. But one of the things I started doing was I'd do a talk on the last session of the day for the kids. And then I'd basically hang around till the kids had gone and do a talk to the teachers on the same topic. And what I found was approaching, like, for example, how to talk about mental health to both the kids and the teachers. You have a slightly different language. So that was the idea of the family hour. The purpose of the family hour is actually aimed at all ages. We talk about it in simplistic language and complicated language, and we talk about where the where the, to bridge the gap between the two. So like on the anxiety special, we talk about basically how all anxieties are kind of equal to a degree. So the parent that's anxious about all of the, um, about the 74 million different things it takes to be an adult these days, that's just as relative relevant as the kid who's got one thing to be anxious about, but their frame of reference on the world is that that one thing is everything. If that person's anxious about where their social standing is, that has the same weight to that kid that all these many different things do. And we, that's one of the things, the big things I want to communicate because it's so common for parents or teachers to be like, oh, school's the best day of your lives. You know, like what, you, what, what have you got to worry about? It's like, oh, it's just this. It'll mean nothing to you in years. It's like, okay, maybe it will mean nothing to them in years, but it means everything to them right now like so that's what one of the big purposes of it the whole the second week was all about communication it was like it seemed like a really boring topic to go into really rather when you've got such juicy things like depression and anxiety to talk about but like communication it's aimed at helping teachers and parents 
talk to kids about it. Um, we've, some of the best responses we've had so far have been from the parents of teenagers, help them a lot. Um, and we now, um, like, this is the thing is like when we're talking about that social media thing, this was where I got obsessed with the numbers because we went from helping, well, working with like 30 kids in five classes, so like 150 kids over the course of a half term. It's like working, like the first one's got two and a half thousand views on it on YouTube. And then, so I became, I became obsessed with the possibility of it. And I'm still, am I still am from it, but again, again, from a, not from an emotional point of view, because from a, well, an emotional point of view in the fact that I just want to see some change, you know, I want to see like, and this is why me and Sam, what me and Sam get a bit frustrated. Sam's the other guy I host it with. What we get frustrated with is that we both hear this whole line. There's not enough being done for mental health, but what I found through doing my work and through having the podcast and through having guests on and stuff is that there's so much more being done than people realize. Um, what the case is, is that there's, there's not enough, there's probably still not enough being done, but what's being done isn't being accessed enough. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm passionate about seeing those numbers grow, not for my own sort of ego, but for the fact that if I could, I always said, if I got into this, if I can help one kid, that's like, you know, that's the job done. Um, but then the brain goes into, well, if I could help one million kids. <laughs> I know, yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think from Char- uh, mine and Charlie's background teaching this stuff, I mean, we, you know, you want to impact as many, you know, as many children's lives as you possibly can. I mean, I've been teaching for like 15 years nearly. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I, and I like to think in that, you know, if I've made a difference to a few families doing what I do, you know, that's, that in itself is worth its weight in gold with the the career that I've been lucky enough and fortunate to have, have had really. And it's yeah. not, it, it, you know, you say it's, it's the, it's, it's touching on those, the, on one or two that then can work for you. It has a snowball effect, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. And it's become, I would say it's become much more of my, my big passion project now is, is wanting to do more work for schools and stuff. Like it's like, because just again, we're going into that sort of prevention better than a cure kind of situation, aren't we? Like I wish that my understanding of bipolar disorder when I was 14 was I'm either all the way up here or I'm all the way down there. And that was as soon as I got given my diagnosis, that was kind of became my reality um and yeah there's there's so many more there's so much more to it than that and there's so many more ways in like i didn't like i wouldn't have even thought that high functioning you know high functioning mental health was a thing because i wasn't i was full-on low functioning like i was in survival mode especially in like my late 20s you know um and like that's just knowing that that type of thing's out there, knowing that there are things that you can impact, knowing like, yeah, sure, you're, you're always at, like at a bit of a disadvantage when, when mental health rolls the dice on you, really. But you're not, it's not a foregone conclusion that your entire life has to be terrible because of it. It's like, it just means that you're playing by a different set of rules than, you know, than someone who's not got a situation with their mental health. But, and therefore the things that I teach might, you know, the things I teach for helping with self-care and stuff, they work like, you know, they work like, I don't know, it comes out to put numbers on it, but they, they work like massively for someone who's not struggling with mental health, but they also, they work enough, though they work a percentage for a person who is, and that percentage is better than nothing. Um, and I think, you know, the idea of being able to teach that, being able to teach healthier coping strategies, being able to teach kids why they might like want to, if they're trying, if they're playing Fortnite before bed, they might want to switch to a more low key chilled out computer game because actually they're not getting stress relief. You know, teaching a kid like that, 
about the difference between fitting in and belonging. And then if, you, if you're fitting in, basically it's because you're doing something that you don't agree with in order to be seen as okay and cool by the group that you want to be part of. And like explaining to them that that's going to chip away at you over time and you're going to hate mm. yourself. You're going to hate yourself for it because you lose a piece of yourself in order to do it. Um, and like, you know, being able to teach those type of principles, I just, I see that as a kind of massive honor really. And I just want to do more of it. And they're life skills at the end of the day. You know, if you've got those things in your toolkit of life, they're not going to just help you when you're a kid. They're going to help you in for the rest of your life. Yeah. So, yeah. They're, they're, you know, being able to teach those things are massively important. Yeah, absolutely. Because the thing is, fitting in doesn't just end with teenage peer pressure. You know how many people like that are on a diet, for example, and they go into the office and the donuts are there and they don't want to be the odd one out. So they eat a donut when... And then they beat themselves up about the fact that they self-sabotaged. Like it's like, you know, that whole thing is like, that's, that is the whole fit and in thing. You know, people, people who do as adults go and hang out with like, like basically they've got friends that all take drugs and they don't want to take drugs themselves, but they do it just to fit in. Adults do that all the time. Um, and it's like these things, these principles, you know, yeah, if you can teach them early enough, you can teach excuse me, the difference between like a belief of I failed and a belief of I'm a failure. You can teach a kid that. <laughs> those, two were, those two phrases. Um, that changes a lot of things because what, well, a lot, basically everything I teach, everything I teach to the kids in schools comes from work that I've done with adults. Like it didn't come from, it's like, yes, learning to see them from the kid's point of view, remembering what it was like to be 15 or 14, that helps a lot. But all the things I'm teaching kids, like um, for example, um, tell it like when someone doesn't answer the phone, uh, like on the mobile and you think that they hate you. That's something I've seen develop in adults, you know, in, in adults, it's like, if you remember when we used to phone people on the house phone, if they didn't answer, then we just assumed that they were busy or they were out or they were on the toilet because they didn't take the phone in the toilet. And now if we phone them on the mobile, we assume that they're, they're ignoring us, they're blanking us, they hate us. And, um, like that, you know, again, talking about that type of stuff gets more of a nod from the teacher than it does from the kids. And that's the whole thing is like, we fill in the blanks, we create a story. You know, I was chatting to someone yesterday about after the, off the back of that podcast episode about the social media addiction. And it's like, this person said, oh, you know, um, it's more, I actually notice more the people who don't hit like or the people who don't comment. And this, if that person goes and comments on someone else's thing, I immediately fill in the blank and say, well, that person prefers that person to me. And actually, there's one thing that I want to circle back to, actually, that you've remembered, you know, you were saying before, Helen, about the fact that sometimes it's the, it's the simplest post that mm. gets the most mm. response and all the rest of it. Um, I did a little social experiment a couple of weeks back where I decided after the month of mindset finished, um, I was like, I put, obviously I put hours of work each day into the month of mindset and um, creating the videos for it, all the rest of that stuff. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to have a week where I go alternating between content that I've put a lot of effort into and content that I've not. I took a picture of my empty notebook next to my coffee cup, you know, it's like, and I just put, let's see where the creativity goes on this day, 78 likes. Um, and I basically went, through, I alternated putting a, a high effort post up, like a video that I, I, my mental health awareness week video took me a day to, to, to film and to edit and to put all the, the titles and everything on it. 
um, versus, um, in fact, actually that, that lets see where the creativity goes, where it went was into a full cartoon and the actual empty notepad got twice as many likes as the actual cartoon did itself. Cartoon took me a day to finish and the notepad thing took me five seconds before it. But what I actually realized is I thought, I, I first thought it's all about how long it took me to make it. Like the selfies, like picturing me with like a scarf around my head when I was trying to get the wind out my eyes on holiday, you know, that got <laughs> tons of likes. And um, it's like, <laughs> and, um, and I'm like, you know what? It's not, it's not down to the effort of the creator. It's down to the effort of the con consumer. So if you put up an amazing, and I've read some of your posts, they go into quite a lot of detail. And it's like, so I uh, say, so if you go into one of those posts, a person's not going to hit like on that until they've read the last sentence. Yeah. And quite often a person will read the first sentence, get the gist of it and go, this isn't applicable to me or whatever. But yeah. if you put a picture of yourself up, like, you know, just a, just a gym, one of your gym yeah. shoot photos, yeah. which, which are, which are pretty epic and very <laughs> easy. They're very easy to just go duh, duh, scroll. Like people might not even read it. No, I know. Like it. And so, that's what, those are the ones that sometimes I, I I'm like, very aware of that and i'm kind of like mm, yeah yeah go on what you can say no, no, that was it really is the fact it's, it's down to the amount of effort that the person who's consuming it's got to put in and and, and thinking about the platform in particular um you know like when i was on for example when i was on ben coomber's podcast two years ago um i actually had an a life a day come through off that two days ago really? like, yeah through from a podcast that was two years ago and like and versus when i was on the local radio i went on i've been on the local radio twice and never had a single person come on a life a day say that's where they heard about it and the you know like a liverpool-based radio station so like ben's listeners because they're on a podcast they're engaged they're listening they're there for that specific reason to listen whereas people who've got the radio on often have the radio on in the background and they're not engaged and therefore exactly not, like you're saying not, it's how, how it's consumed isn't it like a podcast you were avidly listening to it aren't yeah. you Exactly. And that's the thing why I think I love podcasts. You know, I love podcasts because I, I, I do listen to them in my spare time when, 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 I, when I'm in a car and when I'm trapped in one, in one place. Um, but I've not just thought, well, like since I've been, since we've been in the house, let's just sit and listen to a podcast. It's not how I consume content. I don't read long posts myself either. I hit like mostly on a post and this this is going to sound really terrible if i like the person <laughs> it's like i quite if I, on a long post actually I'll, I'll hit like on a long post that i've not read if if i'm friends with the person or i like the person so you know whereas if it, otherwise i'll just scroll past those a lot of the mm -hmm. time so i so it's understanding that people do that same thing to you um i'm not quite sure how i got onto that but hey Hello. <laughs> well, we, probably better, we, we probably better wrap things up because I don't know about you, but it's getting near tea time, guys. Yes, yeah, it is. I'm just kicking <laughs> in. I've still got to get some exercise today. Food, you know. I'm just kicking in, man. Oh, Charlie, you're pushing your I, luck. I know, I know, running out of time. Um, so, so Dave, do you want to just kind of give, I know you already did earlier in the podcast, but do you want to kind of give a shout out of where people can find you um, and, and anything else you, you want to kind of... Um, kind of uh, drop in before we wrap up yeah cool um i'm just going to take my headphones off one side of my head because they're beginning to crush my head um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um mindset by dave everywhere and um, the one other thing i would love to plug and um, is this is a sort of save the data ahead of schedule like give people as much notice about this as possible um it's, i'm going to be running something called the mental health marathon 
in um, on the 26th of February next year. Easy to remember the date because it's 26.2, which is the distance of a marathon. And big reason for that being that every time people do fundraisers, raising money for the mental health charities, it's pretty much always a physical endurance event that does it. So people do a run or they do the three peaks or they do some sort of kayaking thing or, you know, whatever it may be. It's all, we all, we're always celebrating physical endurance. And I thought, you know what? I was, I was about to say I'm no good at physical endurance, but I'm about to run a marathon on Friday, so I better have a... But I thought, you know what, let's have a go at mental endurance. So what I'm going to host, I'm going to host a 26.2 hour long conversation about mental health. Um, it's going to be in a physical location in Liverpool, probably, most likely in Liverpool, because I think I want, I want there to be a bit more happening in the Northwest. Plus, most of my guests are going to be coming from up here. Um, and I'm going to basically stream the entire thing again on twitch.tv slash mindset by Dave. One of the big reasons I want the Twitch audience up this year is so that when we do that event, there's a, you know, there's a bit of a hype around it. And we're going to be talking to other mental health professionals, to other people with personal stories, going to be doing a bit a live coaching probably early on while I'm still lucid enough to do it because I probably shouldn't give coaching advice when I'm like 24 going to give terrible advice although maybe what we'll <laughs> do is a little social experiment to see how good my advice is at the end of that time um, and, and and yeah so that I'd love people to kind of a be involved in that in terms of watching and um, over time if there are any if there are any people that actually think that they'd like to come up and be part of it physically that'd be cool i'm looking for people to talk i'm also looking for people that know how to look after a stream a piece of streaming software i'll probably need like four of them over the course of the day i'm looking for people to spray water in my face and bring me bananas and help me change my shoes or whatever um so so um yeah but i just want to build as much work. I, i'm re i know it's like nine months away or whatever but i just want to kind of i want, I want to build awareness around that now put it out there brilliant mm. sounds incredible well thank you so very very much everybody thank you so much dave it's been awesome thank you, very pleasure and helen i will see you next time bye, bye.